2: Welcome to Hemp Present, the weekly radio show where you can get your PhD in THC because you don't just want to burn it—you want to learn it. Transmitting from a hempcrete fortified bunker under a ramshackle reefer radio Warren at an undisclosed location deep within the rumbling bowels of underground Seattle, my goal is to spread the green flame of 420 truth in 30-minute increments. Today's guest on Hemp Present is Seattle City Attorney and legalization advocate Pete Holmes, who'll be joining me in about 120 seconds. This is the 25th anniversary of the Seattle Hemp Fest, which I am a founding member of and executive director. This is my 25th consecutive year working on the event and my 30th year on the cause of cannabis liberation, and I've got the gray hairs to prove it. In 1991, when we began what is now the undisputed largest annual cannabis policy reform event in the world, the legalization movement was not even considered a viable, credible political movement in America by the sources most often considered authorities on the subject. We were routinely laughed at, "...ridiculed, mocked, or simply ignored by mainstream media, by mainstream culture, and even by progressive news sources. I was often chided by my friends in the environmental movement or the anti-globalization movement to pick a subject that was serious. That's how entrenched prohibition was in the hearts and minds of many Americans." For many years, we had a presence at Seattle's festivals and street fairs. We always had either a booth with banners or some citizens' initiative or petition for people to sign. And when mainstream people walked by us, it was almost always the same predictable reaction. Usually the man, sometimes the woman, would elbow their partner as they passed the booth and say something like, Hey, honey, should we go to the hemp fest? <laughs> Marijuana, as they called it, was such a funny topic for non users. It was the ultimate giggle factor. On television for many years, on shows like Crossfire or Charlie Rose, if a guest wanted to characterize a statement or a notion as being the most absurd, idiotic, asinine concept, they would say, Well, I don't know what he's smoking, but blah, blah, blah. Progressive media, already struggling to be taken seriously in the wake of the vast right-wing-dominated American mainstream media, was afraid of the topic of cannabis for fear of being further marginalized and maligned, as the worst thing was to be associated in any way with a 60s counterculture, which the legalization movement was and is a direct outgrowth of. But we knew how important it was. We fought on. Today, 25 years later, the laughing has stopped. The Canada's reform movement is spreading all over the planet and is considered today by many as one of the swiftest advancing political forces in American politics and characteristically one of the most nonviolent political revolutions in recorded history. But there's so much work still to do. Seattle Hempfest's current national and regional platform agenda is as follows. Deschedule cannabis completely off the Federal Schedule Controlled Substances Act. Remove cannabis from all binding treaties. Release all nonviolent cannabis offenders. Reparations in the form of expunction of all records relating to convictions for cannabis possession parental rights and protections for cannabis users, Second Amendment equality protections for cannabis users, merit-based licensing for pot stores, or remove caps on the number of stores to allow a supply and demand-based market model, legal home grows, legal school medicating for minor patients, workplace protections against job discrimination, Reasonable regulations for concentrates, organic production standards, driving impairment technology, fair, reasonable zoning for cannabis businesses, tax and banking reform, reasonable smell regulations for production facilities and elsewhere, environmental impact of throwaway packaging, legal public consumption lounges, First Amendment equality and advertising sponsorship and promotion for cannabis businesses, consumption lounges, And protections for renters and patients in public housing, legal domestic industrial hemp production, cannabis use introduction in hospitals, equality protections for transplant patients, and nutritional sugar-free medical marijuana medical alternatives. These goals are possible today only because of the work of leaders like my guest today. Pete Holmes is the Seattle City Attorney. He was elected in November 2009 by a wide margin. Previously, Holmes served as an original member of the Seattle Police Department's Office of Professional Accountability Review Board. Pete was a very vocal supporter of the I-502 Citizens Initiative that decriminalized one ounce of cannabis, making Washington State a leader in cannabis reform for our nation. And he's joining me today in our massive virtual studio complex. Welcome, Pete, to him present on Cannabis Radio. Thanks, Vivian. My pleasure. We both share the distinction of having bought some of the very first grams of state legal pot here in Washington State at the very same counter. Uh, But we've not burned any nugs together yet, Pete, so that leaves a goal to accomplish. We must be (laughs) roughly the same age. Have you always been a true believer when it comes to cannabis or did you go through a conversion at some point along the way?
3: Oh, I think that I've always thought that this made little sense. But once I became city attorney and could see the affirmative harm that was being done, in particular, the disparate racial uh, enforcement that we saw, that's why, as you know, Vivian, I stopped all marijuana prosecutions when I took office two years, full two years, before we even had conceived of I-502.
2: Yes, and you and you dropped all charges, I think, for possession. Is that right? That's Correct. What kind of pushback did you get? You know, for full disclosure, I voted against I-502, but I celebrated greatly when it passed, and I'll explain that in another show because it's so complicated. I-502 really divided our reform community, but it's accomplished just so many crucial things. It's been a national game changer. I think it was critical. As city attorney, you must have met some palpable resistance and criticism from law enforcement and administrative ranks. Am I correct? And if so, what was that like?
3: Oh, absolutely. No, you you nailed it. It was, for me, a good explanation about why we can elect prosecutors to exercise their discretion in the way that the public would would like to see things done. As as you know, in Seattle in 2003, we had made marijuana enforcement the lowest law enforcement priority, but law enforcement really wasn't honoring the, the voters' will when I took office, I exercised discretion not to prosecute any more cases. But the pushback came immediately when, in my first year in office, 2010, the Seattle Police Department proceeded to arrest three times as many people for possession in the city of Seattle.
2: And I think a disproportionate amount of them were people of color.
3: That's right. I I don't have the demographics, but I can say that those pending when I took office on January 1, 2010, 59%, 5-9% of all pending charges were against African-Americans in a city with a 7% African-American population. So I exercised my discretion not to do any more harm. We weren't accomplishing any of the goals with prohibition, and I at least wanted to stop the harm. But it was that pushback and the fact that people could still be arrested, which will ruin an otherwise good day. Just because I wasn't filing those charges, I was declining those charges, it indicated to me so clearly why we still needed to change the law, and hence 502.
2: Pete, Denver, with a population of 650,000, has, I believe, 210 locations that sell medical or recreational marijuana or both including 63 that grow marijuana on site and 211 standalone cultivation sites. Seattle, with almost an equal population, 652,000 has, I believe, about maybe 40 retail outlets, maybe soon to be less. Why do you think Denver has room for more than five times as many pot stores as Seattle? Are they doing something right or something wrong, or is it more complicated than that? little more
3: complicated than that although I agree with you that we do not have enough stores I must wince when I see a headline that reads something like the city attorney says Seattle needs more pot shops but <laughs> we do we need we need more legal and licensed pot shops and that's one of the consistent themes mayor Murray and I have articulated to the legislature as well as the uh, liquor and cannabis board we're presently allocated about 48. We have 32, at least as of Friday, that are open. So we have a a long way to go just to hit our allocation. But you'll recall, right out of the box, the allocation that LCB first hit upon was 21 stores. And that was based upon the number of State owned liquor stores that Seattle had back in the 30s when the 18th (laughs) Amendment was repealed. So, from the beginning, as you know, I went on the record and said we need about twice that. Whether or not it's 200 or 50 or something in between, Vivian, it's a tough call. We want to make sure that we have enough so that. Demand can be met. And second, we want to make sure, though, that the entrepreneurs who are putting their, their capital and even from the federal standpoint, their freedom on the line, that they, that they can get a healthy return on their investment.
2: Yeah, you know, as critical as I may be sometimes of the Liquor and Cannabis Board, they have a very, very tough job, you know, kind of inventing the wheel. I don't envy them. And they've, they've worked, they're working very hard to try to get it right. And, and they seem to be, you know, kind of constantly shape-shifting to try to figure it out. There's now new mandatory code inspections of all rental properties in the city of Seattle when the sinisterly named Cannabis Patient Protection Act SB 5052 kicks in. What can medical marijuana patients found to be growing pot who are not in the registry and who might be exceeding the new decreased plant counts, what can they expect in the way of city enforcement? Should they expect the city to be enforcing these, provisions, these state provisions?
3: Well, you know, a couple of caveats. Number one, of course, I don't any more than in 2010 when possession arrests tripled. I cannot direct what law enforcement will do. I can only control what cases I file. That said, I've tried to focus much more on sparing use of, of criminal enforcement and focused instead on civil and regulatory enforcement. And Toward that end, we work pretty closely with the Department of Construction and Inspections, the, the formerly uh, DPD here in Seattle, and we try to prioritize Currently, what we're doing is, you know, any of the existing unlicensed medical dispensaries that have a theoretical path to a state license, those are very low priority for us. If they're not creating uh, public nuisance or any uh, public safety concerns, if they've got an opportunity to, to come into the 502 system, we're giving them the time they need. But effective July 1, and and toward that end, by the way, Vivian, we're also advocating for more licenses, because I think that there are some who would be entitled to a license but for the cap. And that makes very little sense. If the city is willing to take more, wants more, and is willing to make sure that they're dispersed geographically across the city with sound zoning, we should be in control of our own destiny on that front. And that's one of the arguments that we're forwarding with LCB and the legislature. Let Seattle demonstrate its willingness to embrace and regulate locally this this new industry and let's make sure that uh, re- whether you're recreational
2: or a medical patient that you have access to the product that you want and need i am talking to pete holmes seattle city attorney on Hemp on cannabis radio we're going to take a quick pause for the cause because there's flaws and laws here word from our sponsors I'll be right back on your source for the force of freedom don't go anywhere
1: time to roll out for the people that let us have hang loose we're coming right back.
0: Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town. Only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play.
1: It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers? From a hardcore party or- more
0: flavor. I said, palm make yo yo yo, it's your boy T. James. Sure that James. You listen to Dr. Bean on cannabis confidential. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: We're back to Hemp Present, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong Emperor of Hemp, Vivian McPeak.
2: And we are back on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio with Seattle City Attorney Pete Holmes. Pete, we were just talking before the break about uh, medical marijuana patients and home grows in in the city of Seattle. Would you support or would you like to see home grows in the city of Seattle for non-patients with permission of the property owner?
3: Yes, and that is one of the amendments to state law that we will be advocating in coming years. I think that it needs to be a limited home grow, one that would make it possible for law enforcement and regulators to discern between what is clearly a personal use home grow and a commercial operation. All commercial operations, of course, being required to have a state license.
2: Kind of veering off from, from the cannabis thing for a second... The jail system seems to be our new mental health system, and our underpasses seem to be our new public housing as homelessness creeps to unprecedented levels. As city attorney, how challenging is it to strike a balance between public safety and a compassionate approach to absorbing the impact of all these people living on our streets?
3: God, where do we start? Uh, You know, this is probably my number one concern. I know the, the mayor and the city council are truly deeply concerned about it. It's one of those situations where we are living in a state, Vivian, let's face it, that has the least progressive tax system or state another way, the most regressive tax system in the country. And on top of that, we have a federal government that's not doing much of anything to help us with mental health, drug and and alcohol addiction problems and housing the homeless. And so we're left to fend for ourselves. It makes it really, really tough when you're trying to uh, fill in the gap in what is needed with services, and at the same time make sure that you're getting compliance where you can uh, because we have a city to run. We have other interests to balance, and public safety has to be one of the most important. It is such a tough call. Every day we roll up our sleeves on this. I have to consider it in the form of charges that are referred to my office because a lot of times the homeless, mentally ill, and chemical addictions end up in the criminal justice system. And my number one question is, have we attempted outreach with services before we go down the criminal route? And if we're going down the criminal route, are there services there that will better address the problem? Now, having said that, I don't direct law enforcement. I don't control the budgets, and all I can do is to say I'm not going to enable going back to the old way, which was always call a cop, throw him in jail, and pretend actually satisfying your your moral obligation to the community.
2: Speaking of substance abuse, as many as 47,000 Americans died from an overdose in 2014, 60% from heroin and related painkillers like fentanyl, and we had 156 heroin-related deaths in King County as our region saw a 58% spike that year in response to government officials across the U.S., in response, excuse me, some government officials are contemplating the idea of clinics or safe injection sites where heroin users could inject a drug in a more sanitary and controlled environment. What's the city attorney's position on injection sites like the Seattle People's Harm Reduction Alliance Needle Exchange is advocating?
3: I'm all in favor of harm reduction. It started a number of years ago, my first year in office, you know, when we agreed to a process to allow cocaine users to test their product to make sure that it wasn't contaminated. At the time, you may recall, there was a chemical substance being used to cut, and consequently we had deaths growing from use of either crack cocaine or or even powder cocaine. And uh, one of the things we did is the county prosecutor, the sheriff, and the uh, chief of police and I all got together and said, we're not going to get in the way of people trying to test their product. We've done a similar thing with needle exchange programs. Now, these medically assisted or medically supervised injection sites, I think, are really and truly worth full exploration. I'm not a medical expert to be able to describe how you operate those and what is the best model, but I'm certainly in favor of investigating it and, and having the right professionals look into it and guide us. I'm definitely open to this idea.
2: Seattle Bike Cops now carry narcone or Naloxone, the anti-opioid overdose medication. They've been saving lives, one just a few days ago. What other things are you aware of that the city's doing that is groundbreaking or trend-setting that you think other cities may seek to emulate?
3: Well, Vivian, as you know, we're under a federal consent decree, and that has yielded a host of law enforcement improvements that are really pretty exciting. One of those is the crisis intervention team, where we can dispatch officers who are trained in techniques when we have an individual that is in a psychotic crisis or some other similar situation where it's clear that mental capacity is just simply lacking. We've been able to intervene in those situations, and in fact, the uses of force in those situations is down now somewhere under 2% whereas before that used to be one of the largest categories of uses of force by the Seattle Police Department. Now we know if you're approaching someone who is having a mental crisis, we have teams that are ready to be dispatched and help to deal with the public safety issue at hand with minimal harm to the unfortunate person who's having the episode.
2: You and Seattle Mayor Ed Murray were hoping that the state would allow regulated cannabis deliveries But the legislature typically failed to adopt a delivery bill this year. Uh, The delivery services that are operating illegally are untaxed, giving them a financial advantage over the licensed outlets. You've charged eight delivery operations with misdemeanors. I won't ask about this specific case, but how important do you believe that licensed delivery services are in the future?
3: I fully support delivery services, licensed regulated delivery services. They are a way of, for instance, there, that's another harm reduction model. Frankly, Vivian, where you know you will probably lessen the temptation for people to purchase, consume, and then drive. There are also people who either don't have access to to cars or public transportation, or have medical issues that prevent them from getting to a 502 licensed store. And so, I think that they are a key element, not only for those. Resident users or customers, but also for visitors. Uh, When you know this is uh, this is a destination city for tourists of all stripes and the marijuana tourism potential that can result from a, a fully mature licensed system that includes delivery i think is pretty much limitless and i and i want to see us move forward on that front and my hope is that in the next session of the legislature which is a long one that we will be able to to get a bill at least permitting seattle to move forward with a with a pilot project for delivery services
2: How about harder drugs than cannabis? Do you think that harder drugs should be legalized or greatly decriminalized?
3: I certainly think that legalization and regulation is an alternative that will prove effective for more than just marijuana. I think that opioid addiction is a problem that is finally getting the attention it deserves. Uh, I think that while we're proving that this legalization regulation alternative to prohibition can work, that lawmakers will start to look at that and ask the same question. How far we go, though, Vivian, is a is a tough one. I mean, some it's, people yes. would argue that, that tough. crack cocaine is not an opportunity for that, or, or excuse me, meth would not be a good candidate for it. But we'll see, and I do think that it's it's promising. That's one of the reasons why I'm so anxious to see 502 succeed, because I don't think it's limited to just marijuana.
2: Well, you certainly wouldn't see me attending MethFest or CrackFest, that's for sure. We've got this just bizarre, surreal, unprecedented presidential election cycle going on. I, I just think it's got to be blowing everybody's mind. Even the candidates couldn't have anticipated this do you think that at this point in the reform momentum nationally that any presidential outcome could really severely slow us down or imp- impact where we're at? Or Are we a steamroller just you know, unstoppable on some levels?
3: Oh, I think that if you believe that this is inevitable, you are mistaken. Uh, you know, I attended a cannabis conference, uh, Colloquium a few weeks ago in New York City in conjunction with the 2016 United Nations General Assembly Special Session on Drug Policy. And at that conference, we coined the term uh yes, ungas. So, in connection with ungas, there was another term that was used by one of the commentators that said, What's the opposite of an inevitable? And that's evitable. And so, if, uh, for instance, a Donald Trump Is elected president, and he appoints, say, Chris Christie as his Attorney General. You are not going to see from an Attorney General Christie the same deference, frankly, the exercise of prosecutorial discretion that I talked about earlier. That's really what's going on in connection with Washington and Colorado is we've got the top federal law enforcement officer simply standing down, allowing us to go forward with our experiment. One other change in administration? you could find that discretion reversed because the law itself has not been changed at the federal level. So I think that anyone who thinks this is inevitable is really misleading would be reformers until we have every state to adopt and legalize marijuana. And then the feds once and for all, uh, allowing those states to move forward and changing the law to accommodate that. Then, uh, you know, this could be reversed, just you know as a matter of, of a few days, some bad experiences, bad headlines, and one presidential election could change all of that.
2: I guess to take that to its ultimate conclusion, IVA 502 could just go away if at the worst case scenario, is that right?
3: Absolutely. Remember, every one of those licensed entrepreneurs is still subject to federal prosecution. And I know that the feds are, for instance, looking at the Justice Department, and in particular, the U.S. Attorney's offices in the states of Washington and Colorado, as they will in Alaska and Oregon, to see, are you really enforcing your own guidelines? Remember, they said, we're not going to enforce federal controlled substances law unless you fail to produce in these eight areas. Remember, there were eight categories that were listed as a quid pro quo for the federal government standing down from law enforcement. And if they do an audit and they show that we're not really achieving our own objectives, then it, it is quite possible that even the current administration would face
2: lots of pressure to reverse course. And I'm talking to Pete Holmes, the Seattle City Attorney. We're gonna take another quick pause, listen to our sponsors, we'll be right back for our final questions. Don't go anywhere, cause you are on Cannabis Radio, your source for the force of freedom.
1: Time to roll out for the people that let us and present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. We're back to Hemp Present, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak.
2: And we are back on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio with Pete Holmes. Pete, in Seattle, or in Washington State, there are no public consumption or practically any places for travelers to consume. They can't go to a hotel, they can't smoke it on the street. How important are like lounges and and public consumption places like that? How important is that for the implementation and success of 502?
3: I think it's critically important. You know, it's one of those examples, uh, Vivian, where uh, government tends to go toward a uh, simply let's prohibit this and pretend that that actually amounts to regulation. And it's one thing to say that the public doesn't want to be bothered, you know, for instance, at Seattle Center, you don't want to have a family sitting next to folks who are just blowing marijuana smoke all over them. We need to balance the rights of everyone. And so the question, though, is how do we enforce that? And in particular, how do you tell people not to smoke in public and bother other people in public if they don't have a private place where they can consume? It's giving them a right that they can't exercise, and we shouldn't be surprised as law enforcement that we have noncompliance. So I think to be truly effective and to really get the kinds of changes that we're looking for, it's, you know, alcohol, you can go to a bar and consume your alcohol. We frown upon you drinking on the streets. That's why we have, you know, a prohibition against public drinking. Same thing for marijuana. Now, the interesting part about that is where you can go and drink indoors, there is another problem that's not connected with 502, but rather with the Clean Air Act that prohibits smoking indoors, whether it's tobacco or THC. You cannot smoke indoors. That has been the bigger challenge for a wonky lawyer like me to try and Navigate a path toward a legal lounge where people can go and consume, whether you're a tourist or whether you're someone who's just meeting up with friends or whether it's a situation where you just simply lack a private venue where you can consume in the privacy of your own home.
2: And I must state, and some people might find this surprising coming from the guy that throws the Seattle Hemp Fest, but I think it's really important for cannabis smokers to not flaunt it and to respect the sensibilities and the space of non-users. And, you know, I've seen photographs and I've heard stories of people blowing pot uh, smoke in the, in the face of, you know, police officers and, and the public. And I think, you know, we all live in this society. And I just think it's really, really important that we are all respectful and mindful and uh, understanding of each other. And that we respect each other's space and, and privacy in those kind of situations. I really think that's important. And it's just a matter of, of common decency as well as a matter of good policy. Because, yes. you know, we, we want this thing to work. And man, there's a lot of people that we still have to convince. And the more that we cannot screw this thing up, the, the less obstacles that we're going to have down the road. Pete, I just want to thank you so much for your bold advocacy, for putting everything on the line. I can't think of a city attorney in America who has taken this issue on as just un- unabashedly and as forcefully as you have. And it's a real honor to have you on the show, to have you at HempFest so many times, and-, and to live in this city with you. My wife adores you, and she would be furious at me if I did not say hi to you for her, for Conti. <laughs> uh, okay, I- like same back to her? Okay, that's great. Uh,
3: and it breaks breaks my heart, Vivian, every time I hear you say you didn't vote for 502. But I can't think of a better advocate, you know, to highlight the issue. And I think you fully appreciated what we were trying to do. The, you know, address the unknown. None of us knew that this was going to pass. And, Pete, it's uh, it's
2: complicated, and and I'll never know if it was the right decision. But I I was glad when it passed because I knew how important it was. There you go. Take care, Pete. Thanks for being on the show.
3: You bet, Vivian. My pleasure.
2: Now, I want to get to a weekly feature of Present on Cannabis Radio, and that's the quote of the week, and here it is. It's every lawyer's dream to help shape the law, not just react to it. And that's Alan Dershowitz, American lawyer, jurist, and author. This concludes this installment of Hempersent on Cannabis Radio. Email me at hemppresent at gmail.com. I want to thank my power people in the control room, Hannah and Brasco, and all the Cannabis Radio sponsors and advertisers. When it comes to prohibition, you have the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice, so find yours and speak up for justice, because resistance is fertile. Till then, my friends, stay strong, stand tall, and it easy. Don't forget to email me at hempresent at gmail.com. The Hempresent theme song is performed by Stickerbush and sung by a much younger and prettier version of myself. Turn up the music, my stroke and I'm out. Marijuana